Welcome to Tech Transforms, sponsored by Dynatrace. I'm Carolyn Ford. Each week, Mark Snell and I talk with top influencers to explore how the U.S. government is harnessing the power of technology to solve complex challenges and improve our lives. Hi, thanks for joining us on Tech Transforms. I'm Carolyn Ford. Today, I get to welcome Nahal Krishan. He's technology reporter at FedScoop. Nahal and I are going to talk about TikTok. So welcome to Tech Transforms, Nahal. So I want to talk about the controversy over TikTok. Um, the federal government, the U.S. federal government has banned it. Um, so far, we've seen Australia ban it, along with um, universities in Arizona. Mm -hmm. um, can you sum up the main points of controversy around TikTok? I think uh, one of the most uh, well-known uh, cases of, of abuse actually is directly related to the media and journalists. So, um, you know, there was there was this big report by by Vice, Vice News and a couple others last year, um, which showed that TikTok had access to journalists' uh, personal information and their uh, routines and habits on TikTok in a pretty invasive way um, because they were trying to control their uh, narrative and they were trying to control uh, and influence how reporters, you know, write and perceive TikTok. Um, and so there was there was some major privacy violations that occurred there, and people at TikTok got got fired for that. Um, and so that that is an that is an example of misuse. But by and large, actually, you know, I think my reporting and 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 others have have shown this the the actual quantifiable harm of TikTok. A lot of it is perceptions right now. Some of it is smoke and mirrors. A lot of it is just chi TikTok equals China. China equals bad. Mm -hmm. And so you know, it's a, a lot of it is rather sort of performative and is is you know, politically driven and motivated. We, you know, there, there obviously are some legitimate fears that if a business based in China, you know, the CCP has a lot of control, dominant control over the data records, uh, you know, business model of any company that is China-based. And so in theory, there is a worry that the CCP could get, uh, you know, unfair, illegitimate access to Americans' personal data and information through their TikTok accounts because TikTok's parent company, ByteDance, is Chinese. But the reality is we have not seen, we do not know of any objective evidence of, of them having access to American data and misusing it. There have been some pretty seminal reports by the Australian government and others that show that if the Chinese government wants to, they can get access to to company data and information um, and that there are many employees within ByteDance, senior employees who are part of the CCP. And so they're optically speaking, it does not look good. And there is a sense that, you know, maybe the Chinese government might be able to do um, some harmful things. But it's we, we have not seen that occur on a widespread level in a significant way thus far. It could be happening behind closed doors, but I'm saying in, in what, what we know thus far is is, is that they, they have not done so yet. And then, of course, TikTok has made promises that they are going to keep all their data outside of China. So within servers in the United States itself. And 
you know, allow American, the American government and others to say, to, to secure it. And so, um, you know, there was this very famous and uh, and pretty heated uh, hearing in Congress where TikTok CEO, who's a, a Singaporean gentleman, came and was roasted um, uh, by by members of, of Congress, although some say that he really held up his end and, and had a lot of poise. Um, and so, yeah, you know, the, the, the TikTok story is one that is driven a lot by politics and national security concerns, um, some of which are founded, but many of which have not been been proven with with true evidence. And I think a big thing for Americans to think about and people in the government is how much worse is TikTok than our social media companies like Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or or others? You know, each of them collect massive amounts of information. They've had various issues with transparency and data collection of their own. We had the Cambridge Analytica scandal, of course, with, with Facebook and Meta, and, and there have been a number of others. And so why would you know that the question is you know are american social media companies much better at protecting and safeguarding our data than tiktok which is a, you know a chinese parent company and you know honestly we i don't think we we necessarily have a good clear answer that american companies are tremendously better they sell and use americans data every day all the time um and that's part of the reason why there's a big push for data privacy legislation in congress um which is not going anywhere fast but but there are calls for it and so yeah i think those are those are some of the key uh challenges and and conflicts in this tiktok story that's interesting that there's really not a lot of hard data like you said to show that tiktok's any worse than the other social media companies. But what it boils down to is TikTok is a Chinese owned company. Mm -hmm. And so, and you're right, like China equals bad. And so that's where this is really, really, that's where this is really, you think grown from. Yeah, that's, that that's, that's absolutely the, the heart and root of, I mean, it's, but it's not only that it's, it's a Chinese owned company, but it's also that it's just exploding in popularity. Yeah. I think it's like the second most used social media platform, second or third in the United States. And it has gone faster to, I think, almost a billion users than any other social media platform. And it is the youth, uh, Gen Z folks, like I'm sure your son either is on it or maybe, you, you know, touch it. or, okay, maybe he has friends who are on it then. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I I don't have an account myself, but I know lots. I and don't lots of people do, and um, and so and there's a lot of businesses, there's a lot of local and state governments, um, and so it's just I think it's the combination of being China owned, um, but and also just the fact that it is just it's it's this like giant whale. It's like an it's it's the eight ton gorilla that you just cannot ignore anymore. There's very few other Chinese businesses or companies or websites that have infiltrated the American landscape. I can't think of any other major company. I mean, lots of our goods are manufactured in China, but there's not any one large entity that you can say, oh, Americans deal with this Chinese company every day. No, it's just, it's a part of the supply chain. But TikTok is their front and center. And so I think that's why we're, I mean, we've thought of had these conflicts with China for years, but this is the first time a Chinese company has entered into the everyday lexicon and use of the American public um, and, and the American government. And so that, that that's where it comes from. And, you know, the national security side 
is, is not something I write about every day. We, we should probably bring in somebody else to really delve deep into that realm. And I'm sure those are serious concerns. Um, but uh, yeah, we, we, we tend uh, here at FedScoop and CyberScoop to focus on the issues related to data privacy and, um, and, and potential uh, risk to disinformation and misinformation. So do you think that maybe the government's ban on it is, or have they officially banned it? They have, right? They've only banned it within federal government devices. Okay. So only if you are trying to access it on a federal government device or maybe a contractor's device is it uh, has has it uh, they've they've started this ban. I mean, I don't even I don't think it's fully been executed yet, but but they've yeah. they've started the process for that. Um, but of course, everyday Americans. I mean, if you're using it on a personal device, there's there's no stopping. Nothing they can do. Which this so that brings me to so I'm thinking, okay, they've banned it because to your point, this is the first time we've seen. I'm going to use really. <laughs> Um, heated words here. A Chinese company has infiltrated to this degree um, the American society. And so the concern over privacy within the government. But then I wonder too, like I'm thinking about what you said about TikTok violating a lot of privacy issues with journalists trying to influence them. I mean, I could see the government having some concern with government employees. But if the government employees are using it on their personal devices, that could happen, no, you know, anyway, if they're using it. Yeah, correct. They they absolutely can be using it on their personal devices, and so I think I think a wrinkle in this that is important and that gets talked about more and more is is there's in in some ways the conversation is shifting more towards. Uh, you know, less about like data privacy in some ways and more about, okay, let's say TikTok decided to change its algorithm and maybe it was influenced in part by the Chinese Communist Party or others. And that algorithm started sending misinformation about about the American government or about policies here or about China. And then you have, you know, hundreds of tens of millions, maybe hundreds of millions of Americans taking in that misinformation and that can affect an election that can affect well, but how do we know that that's not already happening exactly and that's the hard thing that that's 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 the you know that's the trillion dollar question that is hard because we don't know exactly just like we don't fully understand the algorithms at facebook and google we also don't fully understand the algorithms within tiktok and yeah. how they shift and change the weights and scales at which you know in terms of what gets popular what goes viral and so in theory, that could be happening. As I said, we don't have any any concrete evidence of that occurring right now through academic studies or, or, or others who study this, but it could be happening and it could happen in the future. And so the, I think the government's take is, and many senators and congressmen talk about this and have spoken to about with me, is that if we allow this to go forth unchecked, it could reach a point where TikTok it just continues to get more and more popular. And then they start sowing seeds of discord, like the way yeah. the Russians tried to do in 2016 with right. Clinton and Trump. And so, you know, and then you only realize before you only realize when it's too late after an election, after, you know, violence or conflict has been created. Um, that's an incredibly complicated thorny problem, though, and is not one just faced by TikTok, right? The Russians and others tried to use Facebook, which is an American social media platform, and in some ways did so successfully. So, you know, well, that's I was just going to say, I mean, we can go all the way back to the 2008 
elections yeah. and see how Twitter was really a major force in that election. Mm-hmm. And and Obama, you know, being the first to really leverage it, not mm-hmm. necessarily in an not in a nefarious way. I'm not suggesting that at all. I'm just pointing out the power that social media has had. Mm-hmm. What scares me the most about TikTok is I don't use it personally. Mm-hmm. Um, the the addictive nature of it of all social media, but mm-hmm. I've watched people use TikTok. And I swear it's like, I mean, they're getting some kind of a drug hit. Like it's, it's almost like they can't get step away from it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's a, that's a great way and an accurate way to put it is it, it is, it is, it is highly, highly addictive. Um, And their algorithm has like touched upon something that is tremendously powerful. And, you know, it's just literally you use the app for like less than two minutes um, and just like swipe on on you know a few dozen videos, and it has a pretty uh, razor sharp sense of what you like and don't like. And of course, the more you use it, hours, days, years, it just gets better and better at giving you exactly that that little delicious treat that that you know makes yeah. your mind go gaga with pleasure or get go dark with fear, and you know and 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 plays at 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 the human mind. Um, and that's why Instagram has tried to copy it with its own, yes. you know, stories and and feeds, and and this is the way you see the news. You know, there's there's a new app being that's been created by uh, the founders of Instagram called Artifact, and it tries to do this with news, where it just shows you a bunch of news articles. You swipe one way or the other, and it starts to recommend news articles for you. So everyone is trying to copy TikTok. Everyone thinks yeah. that they're geniuses who, and they, they want to try to replicate the model, but like how safe it is, how much of a good idea it is for children or for, you know, people who have attention issues, um, which is a lot of us these days. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's not clear. It's not clear yeah. how, how good that is for you. And, um, you know, uh, it, some degree of thought or safeguards or regulations are, are probably likely needed. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I have friends who are highly addicted to it to the point where we can't have dinner together without them pretty much being buried in their phones the entire dinner. And I just mm. like, I'm like, okay, should I get on my phone and start sending you stuff over TikTok or social media too? It's not just TikTok. Um, TikTok seems to be an Instagram, like, literally can't do be together for an hour without them getting on their phones. And that is, that's enough for me to say I'm out. Like I've taken it off my phone. I've never, I've never done TikTok, but even the other social platforms, I haven't deleted them completely, but they're not on my main home screen. Like I have to work a little bit to get to them. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, as, as you rightly pointed out, like right now it's all happening at the individual level. People just have to decide for themselves what sort of balance they want to strike vis-a-vis engaging with the world and their ideas or their business or family and friends, how much you want to put out and how much you want to keep that, that personal space for yourself. And, and I think this is why to shift it back into politics real quick, this is why it's so important that there is data privacy um, and uh, related rules and regulations and laws passed in Congress um, uh, because, 
you know, many factions of society don't have that time and ability to say, oh, I'm going to have this really thoughtful, intricate approach to my use of my phone and social media. Oftentimes, these things have to be baked in so that people who, you know, who have three or four jobs or juggling kids and jobs or, you know, dealing with somebody who's sick don't have the time for that. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, we are not very close to passing data privacy comprehensive legislation or uh, uh, um, in, in Congress right now. I think children is the one area where I think there's a lot of bipartisanship between Democrats and Republicans. Let's do something that 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 makes that protects children's data and also the amount of time that they spend on these apps. I think there's likely to be movement on that within the next year. Um, but regarding something outside of children that's more comprehensive, uh, that's something that their um, industry is asking for, citizens are obviously asking for, and there really needs to be more movement there um, because that's ultimately the long-term solution here. Individuals can try to make better decisions right now, day to day, but many people will fall through the cracks through that approach. Yeah, I agree. I mean, if it's your drug of choice, okay, and your privacy shouldn't be um at risk because that's your drug of choice <laughs> like the companies should have some rules on them and that it would be really great to have the government do that for us i want to wrap up with um our tech talk questions so just some fun quick questions but actually before i go to tech talk is there anything else that we i mean there's so many things but anything else that you want to mention to our listeners the only other uh major issue that uh i, I think we haven't uh, quite gotten into is um, is cybersecurity and and mm -hmm. and and IT modernization mm -hmm. uh, and so you know when it uh, I I think I think an an important thing uh, to note is that we you know coming out now we're you know post pandemic or or some version of post pandemic um, there was an immense amount of resources that were expended on IT modernization during the pandemic um, within the Social Security Administration HHS in particular and and others um, and. You know, now we've had spending happen through the infrastructure bill, uh, the Infrastructure Act last year, and then the CHIPS Act. And so, you know, I think it's really important to remember, like, this is a time when uh, everyone is, you know, coming back into real life and and people are traveling. And that this is a time when the government has allocated a lot of money for tech-related purposes. Um, and a lot of government contractors are, are, are buying for that money. But um, there are going to be a number of difficulties and challenges with implementation of, of that spending in, in, in the coming years. And um, still left over the spending that was allocated during the pandemic. So like you're talking 20, 21, 22, even like that spending hasn't been. Um, well, some some of that spending hasn't hasn't fully occurred, but there's been new spending that mm -hmm. has, has occurred last year, as I said, from the Chips Act and from the yep. infrastructure bill. Okay, and so you know, I think it's 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 important to remember that from the industry's perspective, and and for many Americans, the the American government is still severely lagging behind when it comes to technology. You look at like places like the IRS that are still using computers and tools from decades ago in like the 70s and 80s. Um, and that continues to be the case in many federal agencies. Obviously, some are, are doing much, much better and are much more at the cutting edge. And then there's there's others who are using things that are decades old. And I think IT modernization is still one of 
like if you talk to CIOs and CTOs within companies or within federal agencies, modernization is still one of the most important key driving issues mm. um, uh, that that is a focus of actions, of spending. Um, you know, Congress has its own IT modernization committee now that got formed during the pandemic to, to improve it. I just recently interviewed its ranking member and former chairman, Derek Kilmer. And so, you know, there is optimism around the amount of resources and focus being put on modernization, but um, it is it is still something that is taking a lot of time. There's still a lot of bureaucracy. Um, and so, you know, w- whatever... Uh, you know, but I think both government contractors and federal agencies are are highly focused on 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 IT modernization, and I think particularly ways of finding uh, you know pots of money within appropriation spending. That you know we're having a huge debate right now. Republicans want to cap spending levels at at FY twenty twenty two levels, whereas Democrats and the administration want to increase it. And if the budget goes through according to what Republicans want, there will be significant cuts to IT modernization that will mm. occur. Um, and so, you know, that's something that we've been focused uh, a, a lot on. And basically the money from the CHIPS Act and the Infrastructure Act, how much of it can actually be spent is dependent on the appropriations process. So that's something we're in the middle of right now. Like we are in appropriation season right now. And and there there are, there are significant political battles and struggles between Democrats and Republicans on the budget that will have real world impacts on, um, on IT modernization and on government contracts. Um, and so, you know, that's something I would suggest your, your, your listeners remain closely attuned to, especially if they're buying for government contracts or they're in the federal government and they're, they're worried about what programs they might, might not be able to keep, um, you know, where Republicans and Democrats land on their contrasting visions for a budget, uh, will have serious ramifications. So it modernization, like it's such a big term. And you mentioned like these computers, like hardware, uh, infrastructure that's outdated decades. There's also part of the modernization movement is is shifting to the cloud. Um, do you see like if some of this spending does get shut down, can you look in your crystal ball and see what's going to be hit the hardest? Is it going to be, will they go ahead and like upgrade the infrastructure that is, you know, older than my mother or are they going to, you know, slow down on cloud migration where would you see like the cuts hitting the hardest? Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a fair question. I mean, you know, I, I think it's, it, it's not that there would actually be cuts. They want to cap the spending at what it was for FY 2022. Okay. There's no cuts, um, but it would be, I, I think it's, it's more related to, um, you know, in each agency, it's it's going to be different. Um, you know, for for example, um, you know, in uh, in the VA, you know, which we've done a lot of reporting on, um, there are worries of the of caps when it comes to its electronic health record system, yeah. which is source of great controversy. And so, you know, they're trying to modernize that, move from a Vista software to Oracle Cerner. Um, and so that transition could potentially be hampered by 
this by by caps in spending um and it it might make it more difficult to make that transition um you know whereas in in congress for example um there have been efforts uh to to modernize it when it comes to its scheduling system and when it comes to building a new tool for taking in constituent complaints and feedback and so, you know, there's been a number of IT modernization recommendations that Democrats and Republicans agreed on in a bipartisan way through this modernization committee, which was great. It was an unexpected degree of like movement and agreement, but actually implementing them will take certain resources. And so many of those recommendations may take longer or may not come to fruition if if the budget is capped. That's what Representative Kilmer just told me a few days yeah. ago. Well, I'm and not going to lie. So as an end user, I'm feeling like what you're telling me is my experience is not going to get any better. Well, it, it may very well get better, but it just might take longer. It might take longer on the user's end for it to get better if there's this cap. I, I mean, likely, I think, you know, in as much as I can gaze into a crystal ball, it'll probably let budget levels will not get capped, but like Republicans want and Democrats increases will also not completely finalized or come to fruition it'll be somewhere it'll be somewhere in the middle you know mm -hmm. like, like many of these sort of compromises are um but you know what will particularly get cut will just you know agencies will get the budget that they get and then they will make the cuts we don't really know yet what they're planning to to cut or what programs that they had planned to create will get scaled back and that will happen once they actually have a sense of the budget. Nobody has predictions right now on on what will be affected, but um, we will certainly be the first to report on it. As soon as we we have budgets, we we will be the first to write about what will get cut, what will get changed, what's going to have, what's going to be ruffling feathers. Yeah. Fed scoop right. and cyber scoop. All right. Well, I'm really glad that I asked because yes, I, IT modernization is something that I keep a close eye on as well. So. Let's move to our tech talk questions. The first question I want to ask you is what is a common myth about your job or field of expertise that you often have to correct people on? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think uh, the, the one that I hear most often is um, people are, are always saying, oh, this is off the record. This is off the record. And they, they have this huge thing about everything that they say, um, oh, like you can't report on this or you can't. And, you know, even sometimes when I'm having like a personal conversation with somebody or it's like something unrelated to what I write about. And there's this like almost like profound sense of like mistrust that like, you know, every reporter out there is just there to like cause mischief and mayhem and just take what everybody says and put it on the front page of a newspaper. And so, you know, I think that's a great misconception one, because that's, you know, most things that people say are not actually newsworthy. It's, it's like people think of themselves as far more important than they actually are <laughs> and the things that they have to say. Um, so one, it's that. But two, even if you are a government official or you're a high ranking tech executive, um, you know, it, it's just like the way that journalism works and my profession works, it, it's, it's entirely built on trust and it's long term mm -hmm. trust. If if I were to write something that somebody had told me, oh, please don't write this or don't publish it, or we have a longstanding relationship. And if I write that, I might get one good, you know, flashy story out of it. And then they won't talk to me anymore. And then all their colleagues and others that they work with and friends are none of them will talk to me either. 
And so, you know, every, we're, we're playing the long game here. And so, you know, it's when something is agreed to be off the record or, you know, it's it's all about trust. And if you don't have that trust, people are not going to come to you with good story ideas or with exclusives or with scoops. And so, you know, I would just encourage people to, to realize that, um, you know, uh, I, I, you know, I've been in this space for eight years and. I know others who've been in it for longer and it's, it's the people who break the best stories are those who have the best relationships and have yeah. access to the best information. And that comes from, from, you know, protecting your sources as much as, you know, breaking stories. And so, you know, that's, that's the model by which I go on. And yeah, I think people just, you know, asking me and making sure, oh, this is off the record. That is off the record is uh, yeah, it's a, it's a misconception that everything that gets told gets immediately reported. And usually, if you're going to report something that's going to be important, even if somebody didn't say off the record, you will go back and check with them and say, "Hey, by the way, I'm planning to write this story. Did you have anything else you wanted to add? Is this all right?" So um, you know, I would just encourage people to be a little more open and transparent about sharing their thoughts and feelings. And little less concerned about how that might get out or be misconstrued. Because if you're dealing with a good reporter and somebody who knows what they're doing, it's, you know, everybody's playing the long game here. Right. You're not trying to have a gotcha moment because that doesn't serve anybody. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. All right. So what is an underrated tool or tools that are indispensable for your job? Please tell me it's chat GPT. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, unfortunately, chat GPT has not been able to write any stories from me. From start to finish, although I do use it for research purposes from from time to time. Again, when it's a subject I have some expertise or knowledge on. Um, but what is indispensable is uh, search databases um, uh, for finding people's contact information. Oh so yeah, info or Rocket Search or others. You know, uh, finding uh, ways of contacting people and their emails and phone numbers is absolutely indispensable. That's how, you know, reach out to people who I've never talked to before or, you know, don't have a connection to. And so, um, yeah, tools like that and LinkedIn and others are are absolutely indispensable for cold emailing, cold calling. Um, um, so, yeah, that that is is important. And then, of course, you know, privacy focused uh, messaging apps like Signal which mm. uh, allow uh, me to be texting with sources uh, in yeah. a protected fashion and sometimes outside of the, outside of the United States. Um, so yeah, I would say I would say those are two tools that are that are pretty essential. Okay. And finally, other than following you and and being sure that our listeners are are reading your columns, your articles, what other re, uh, recommendations do you have for our audience, whether it be podcasts or books or movies? Like, what do you? What do you like to do in your downtime? Read, listen to, watch? Yeah, yeah, certainly. So, um, you know, in uh, in the, the, the tech realm in particular, um, I every week uh, spend a good bit of time um, on uh, this podcast called the Big Technology Podcast. What is it? Uh, it's called the Big Technology Podcast. Okay. Uh, by Alex uh, Kantrowitz. Um, he was a former reporter 
with uh, Bloomberg, and he just interviews like all the best and brightest in the tech world, from you know Mark Zuckerberg and Larry Ellison to leaders in the federal government, um, to AI experts and and specialists, and so you know um, that the head of Meta. Uh, 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 Meta AI, um, Yvonne, uh, Le- Le- Yvonne. Um, he was on uh, his show recently and that that went viral. He's had Sam Altman on the show. Um, and so, you know, he's just somebody, I think, who has like really in-depth, long-form conversations that are, you know, sort of between like half an hour to an hour, 45 minutes to an hour. Um, and I, you know, when I'm on a bike ride or I'm going on a long drive or a long walk, I, I really love listening to him. And I think he gets at the, all the major issues happening in the tech world, whether it's privacy and, or disinformation or monetization, social media and cybersecurity, all, all the major issues. And, and he can, he speaks to sort of a mainstream audience, um, Mm -hmm. Um, but but gets into the weeds on on important issues. So I, I really like him. Um, I also listened to the Ezra Klein show. Um, he had a great interview with uh, Alondra Nelson, the former head of the Office of Science and Technology at the White House. Great podcast episode on the future of AI in the government and how is the AI, how is the government going to regulate it? Um, so he's another um uh, he's a, a columnist at the New York Times and has a podcast, and he goes really deep into some of the the smartest, uh, most uh, uh, skilled experts and and uh, professionals in different fields. So those are two podcast wise. Um, uh, in terms of what I'm reading right now, I'm reading uh, Robert Caro, the 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 infamous um, the the famous uh, journalist uh, and and author. I'm reading his book on. Um, on storytelling and and reporting, mm. he has written, of course, these famous books called The Power Broker, mm-hmm. um, and the seminal pieces on Lyndon Johnson, um, and so he's he's one of the he's one of the most remarkable American historians um, and and storytellers um, on people in power and and people in politics. But you can just I, I just find you can learn so much just about human nature and human behavior from from his books and so i'm 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 reading one of his books called working um and yeah it's 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 filled with with really juicy interesting uh anecdotes on on how um he structures his life and his reporting and and how much like his intuition plays like sometimes i think so much and this is so much of like what is driving like AI and, and cybersecurity is like, there's a certain inevitability in his reporting. He's like, I felt like I didn't have a choice to go after these issues and ask, ask these questions and try to track down the truth. And I feel like that's oftentimes what I hear about from people who are building AI tools is like, they feel like they don't have a choice to work on these things. It's just so important and exciting and necessary and so, yeah, I think I think he's somebody who uh, is able to capture um, that 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 human spirit uh, very well. Um, and yeah, you know, so 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 uh, he's he's somebody I'm reading. I um, I also have been um, uh, I I also have been following uh, some some folks who are using technology when it comes to their art form. Um, so. Um, there have been some like foremost artists at the Met and MoMA that have started to use AI tools within, within, within what they, uh, what, what they create. And so, um, that has also uh, been uh, an, an area of great, uh, great interest of mine. Um, so yeah, those are, those are, those are some of the things that I, 
I do in my downtime when I'm biking or sitting in the sun. Oh, those are great recommendations. Thank you. So, and thank you so much for taking time today for going well past our time with me. And thanks to our listeners for joining. Make sure you share and smash that like button. Thanks so much, Nihal. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for joining Tech Transforms, sponsored by Dynatrace. For more Tech Transforms, follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. 